This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. I was just checking the latest uh, stats on the um, the pandemic. I don't know about you, but it feels like we're living in a twilight zone. And uh, we've kind of been inundated with this. As of right now, worldwide, there have been over 95,000 deaths due to this pandemic and over 16,000 deaths um, just in the United States alone. Uh, yesterday was nearly 2,000 deaths uh, in our country. We're really living through an unprecedented time. And, uh, and, and the destruction of lives uh, due to the virus, it, it's rightfully getting the attention. Um, there's another part of this too, and that's the economic toll this is going to take on families and lives. Uh, so it just feels like there's been this darkness that has descended upon our world. Now, as a Christian minister, I'm finding something encouraging about this. We've been given a gift right now, and the gift is the gift of attention. People are paying attention. A tragedy on a scale like this possesses the power to concentrate the mind. And I'm finding that to be true. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons for this talk tonight. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Christian hope in the face of death. And what I've done is, and it's not that long, about 25 minutes. I've organized this into three ideas. So we'll look at this topic under three ideas. Uh, we're going to look at, at, the, at death's invisibility. We're going to look at death's origins, and we're going to look at death's death, the death of death. Um, and as I talk through this, you can feel free to submit questions. Um, I'll be answering some of those questions on my blog in the days to come, so you can check that out. Let's look first at death's invisibility. Um, our 21st century American culture is far less prepared for death than any other culture in human history. That might be the most important thing you hear tonight. Our 21st century American culture is far less prepared for death than any other culture in human history. There are lots of historical and cultural reasons for that. Let me just give you one example of why that's true. Think about modern medicine for a minute. Modern medicine, medicine offers us numerous advantages previous generations went without. But as is often the case, great ideas, great innovations uh, come with unintended consequences. So think about the hospital. The very first hospital in the United States did not open until 1751. Hospitals on the grand scope 
the spectrum of human history, hospitals are a fairly modern invention. Uh, for most of human history, death happened in the home. Death was as public as a wedding. But now we have these massive facilities and an army of professionals who take care of our sick and dying for us. Death has been pushed to the margins of society. It's out of sight and it's out of mind. But for centuries, that was not the case. For centuries, that was not the case. Um, let me just give you an example. Uh, Annie Dillard, in her novel, uh, The Living, devotes an entire page to describing the astonishing variety of ways in which death snatched uh, human beings from their homes and their families, uh, often without a moment's notice. And she's writing in the 19th century. She's writing in the 1800s. Listen to the way she describes this. Women took fever and died from having babies. And babies died from puniness or the harshness of the air. Men died from rivers and horses, bulls, steam saws, mill gears, quarried rock, or falling trees or rolling logs. Children lost their lives as hard things smashed them, like trees, and the ground when horses threw them, or they fell. They drowned in water, they sickened, and earaches wormed their way into their brains, or fever from measles burned them up, or pneumonia eased them out overnight. That's life in the 1800s. It's not that long ago. Uh, Dillard's imagery is pretty graphic. It's pretty detailed. Death was everywhere, and everybody witnessed it. Everybody witnessed it on numerous occasions. For these reasons, we today, 21st century America, are the most ill-equipped generation in human history to face death. And the Bible would say that's not a good thing. For example, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so we may gain a heart of wisdom. To number something means consciously thinking through something. It means thinking about the sand slipping through the hourglass. We're meant to contemplate the shortness of life and the very real fact that death will end life for everyone. Nobody gets out of life alive. Now, I realize intellectually, we know this. Intellectually, we know this, but we suppress it. We suppress it. We live and act like we're going to live forever. So the coronavirus pandemic is now forcing the issue. It's actually forcing a reality that was already there, but we suppressed it. It's upsetting the apple cart. We can't suppress it anymore because our lives have been completely upended by a microscopic organism that is running loose around the globe. Our, our lives have been upended by a microscopic organism that you can't see, 
that's killing 6,000 people a day around the world. So right now, this coronavirus pandemic is serving as smelling salts. I don't know if you've had the misfortune of ever smelling smelling salts. They are strong and pungent, but they get the job done. They wake you up. They wake you up. And this pandemic is serving that purpose. It's smelling salts. It's spiritual smelling salts. And I think that's a good thing. Now, if you're someone who's uh, experiencing quite a bit of anxiety over this whole thing, stay with me. I've got two more thoughts for you to ponder. The next one is death's origins. Where did death come from? Where did it come from? Have you ever thought about the fact that it's a thing? And why is it a thing to begin with? If we can figure that out, maybe we have a place to start in a search for a solution to it. Now, some people view death as just a natural part of life. Um, this is the way it's portrayed in Mitch Albom's best-selling book, Tuesdays with Maury. I don't know if any of you have read that. Um, in the book, Mitch Albom describes the agonizingly slow death of his mentor, Maury Schwartz. Uh, Maury was really dying in pieces. Uh, ALS uh, methodically inched its way up his body, melting the nerves in his legs and torso until it finally shut down the muscles in his arms and head. And uh, in one of their last conversations, Maury explained why, although he didn't necessarily believe in God, he wasn't afraid to die. Um, this is, this is what he said. Death is as natural as life. The fact that we make such a big hullabaloo over it is all because we don't see ourselves as part of nature. We think because we're human, we're something above nature. We're not. Everything that gets born dies. That's his view. And it's a view that's held by many today. So in this view, coronavirus is perfectly natural. There's nothing about it that ought to shock us. It's nature's way of weeding out the weak so that the strong can survive and thrive. Now, so for some of you, that might be a satisfactory answer. But I would suspect that for most of you, this, this notion that just because death is natural, we should just accept it is a deeply disappointing view. I would suspect that that's true of many of you. So let me give you another view to think about. This view comes from C.S. Lewis, the author of The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, here's what he writes. He says, if you really are a product of a materialistic universe, how is it you don't feel at home there? Do fish complain of the sea for being wet? Or if they did, would that fact itself not strongly suggest that they had not always or would not always be purely aquatic creatures? In other words, Lewis is saying that in a purely materialistic universe with no God, to complain about death or to be uncomfortable with death makes as much sense as a fish complaining about being wet. 
Lewis contends that our anger with death or our discomfort with death suggests that we weren't originally built to die. In other words, deep inside us resides a memory trace that whispers to us, death isn't the way it's supposed to be. Death is an intruder. Death is unnatural. Now, Lewis wasn't the only one who believed this. Jesus Christ also believed death was an intruder and unnatural. Sometimes we forget that Jesus was a human being. He's a man. Uh, he lived the earth and he had friends just like we do. And Jesus experienced what it's like to lose a friend to death. Lazarus was a very good friend of Jesus's. Lazarus died, and Jesus was not okay with that. In John 11, when Jesus approached the place where they had laid Lazarus's body, it says that Jesus quaked with rage. Jesus quaked with rage. You don't quake with rage over the death of a loved one if you believe death is natural and normal and should therefore just be accepted. Jesus doesn't accept that death is normal. Therefore, the only alternative is that Jesus believes death is abnormal. Jesus believes death is not the way it's supposed to be. He believes death is an intruder. So, why and how did death come to exist? Here's what the Christian faith teaches about that. In the book of Romans, we read this. Sin entered the world through one man, and death entered the world through sin. And in this way, death came to all people, because all sinned. Sin entered the world through one man. That's Adam. Death entered the world through sin. In other words, death came riding into the world on the coattails of sin. Now, because everyone is now naturally sinful and sins throughout their lifetime, everyone dies. This is the Bible's explanation for how and why death became common. Now, what's encouraging about this is, is the Bible sees sin and death as a problem. That's a good thing. If sin and death aren't a problem, then there's no reason to pursue a solution. Eastern religions and secularism don't really see death as a problem, and therefore they don't really pursue a solution. Christianity, on the other hand, sees sin and death as a real problem, which means maybe there's a solution. Think about it this way. Consider a father who passes a defective gene for lung cancer onto his children, each of whom compounds the problem by smoking a pack of cigarettes every day. No doctor would throw up his hands and conclude lung cancer is simply natural for this family. Rather, a good doctor is gonna to try to devise a plan to repair their broken nature 
and strongly recommend they not make their condition worse by smoking. When Adam sinned, he corrupted his nature and he passed that corrupt nature onto us. This is why you never have to teach a child how to throw a temper tantrum. They come out of the womb knowing how to do that naturally. Why is that? Well, it's because our spiritual DNA is defective. It's corrupt. And we compound the problem by smoking packs of sin each day. And this is why we die. This is why death exists. These are the origins of death. And Jesus thinks this is a problem. This problem is why his good friend Lazarus has died. He has a sinful nature, and because of that nature, has sinned throughout his life. But even though this is the way it is, Jesus rejects the idea that this is the way it's supposed to be. So listen, if, if you're fairly sure you're going to die someday, you can be equally sure sin is a problem for you. Death exists because we have a sinful nature and routinely sin throughout our lifetime. According to God, that's why it exists. But that doesn't mean this is the way it's supposed to be. So let me conclude with a word of hope by talking about death's death. I want to talk about the death of death. Jesus rejects the idea that death is the way it's supposed to be. This is why Jesus came in the first place. What Jesus came to do says a lot about what the real problem is. Um, if our greatest problem was political, if our greatest problem, if humanity's greatest problem was political, Jesus would have come as a politician. If our greatest problem was medical, Jesus would have come as a physician. If our greatest problem was um, therapy, Jesus would have come as a counselor. He did not come primarily as any of those. He did not come primarily as any of those. He did not come primarily as a politician, physician, or a counselor. He came primarily as a savior. Savior is his primary title. Our greatest problem, our greatest problem is not political, it's not medical, it's not therapy. The fact that the primary title in the scriptures used to describe Jesus is Savior says a lot about what our real problem is. Jesus came as Savior, which implies we need to be saved from something. What's that? You might think, well, this is a talk on death. It's, it's death. That's our greatest problem. <laughs> but let's not go so fast on that. Jesus' death and resurrection, which we celebrate this week, clearly has not saved Christians from physically dying. Christians still die. So our physical death must not be our greatest problem. Our physical death must not be the thing Jesus came to rescue us from. So what greater threat did Jesus' death and resurrection address? See, that's the million-dollar question. And not knowing the answer to that question might be the reason you fear your own death because you're not sure what happens after you die. What happens after death? Jesus' own death and resurrection answers that question. 
Earlier I said when Adam sinned, he corrupted his nature. And he passed that corrupt nature onto us. And because we've inherited this corrupt nature, because we smoke packs of sin each day, that's why we physically die. But physical death is not the only consequence of having a corrupt nature. God says there's a second consequence of having a corrupt nature, and that is spiritual death. Spiritual death is the threat Jesus came to address in his own death and resurrection. Here's how the Bible describes it. Ephesians chapter one, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, the Apostle Paul is talking to people who are physically alive. They've never been physically dead. That must mean the death that Paul is talking about is not physical death. It's spiritual death. These people were spiritually dead. Paul goes on to say in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Jesus died and rose again to rescue us from spiritual death. Now listen, every one of you listening is either spiritually dead or spiritually alive. There is no third category. You're either spiritually dead or you're spiritually alive. And which category you're in will determine what you experience the moment you physically die. If you want to face your physical death with hope, you need to be spiritually alive. Because if you're spiritually alive, death is not going to be able to touch you. And I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. When Jesus came to Lazarus' grave, remember his good friend Lazarus, when Jesus came to Lazarus' grave, one of Lazarus' sisters met him there. And Jesus comforted her. And he comforted her in part with these words. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus said, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And then he looked at her and he said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? So Jesus is saying the one who believes in him will live even though they die. The one who believes in him, in other words, is spiritually alive. The one who believes in him will continue to live even though they die. Now, why is he able to say that? Why is Jesus able to say that? Because Jesus himself defeated death. He's the only human being ever to do it. We celebrate Easter on Sunday. Easter is a twofold celebration. On the one hand, it is a celebration that Jesus has come back to life. But the other reason it's a celebration for Christians is that Easter is a prediction of the Christian's future. It is a prediction of the Christian's future. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Easter is a prediction of your future. So for those who are spiritually alive, the only thing death can do to you, listen to this, for the Christian, for the believer in Christ, the only thing death can do to you is make you better than you've ever been before. The only thing death can do to you is make you happier than you've ever been before.
I have found great inspiration in uh, the ministry of uh, the late uh, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was one of America's great preachers. And um, his first wife died from cancer uh, when she was in her 30s. She was in her 30s. Uh, and she left behind three children under the age of 12. Uh, when she died, Dr. Barnhouse chose to preach the funeral himself. What does a father tell his motherless children at a time like that? On their way to the service, the funeral, <clears throat> he was driving with his kids when a large truck passed them on the highway. And as the truck did that, it, it cast a huge shadow over their car. And uh, a Barnhouse turned to his oldest daughter, who was staring out the window, and asked, Tell me, sweetheart, would you rather be run over by that truck or by its shadow? And she replied, The shadow, I guess. It can't hurt you. And Dr. Barnhouse turned to the three children and said quietly, your mother has not been overrun by death, but by its shadow. Why was he able to make such a confident statement? Because he knew his wife believed Jesus' words. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And the question Jesus asked Lazarus' sister comes to us. Do you believe this? When Dwight Moody was on his deathbed, his friends and family were gathered around him. And he said to them, soon you will read in the papers that Dwight Moody is dead. He said, don't you dare believe them. I'll be more alive than I've ever been before. Can you thumb your nose at death like that? I could mention a dozen other stories of other people who confidently face death with unshakable hope. But I think you get the point. The only question left to ask is this. Can you thumb your nose at death like this? Can you thumb your nose at death like this? I'll leave you with one last passage. This is the Apostle Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll leave you with this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.